I was in high school, I had a teacher. Um, his name was Mr. Birch. He was also my soccer coach. And, um, and he also uh, was a member of our church here at Lake Point until God calls him home back in 2013. And, um, but he was known for his um, witty sayings. You know, he always had something to say, always had it in the right moment. The timing of his statements were always so good. And, uh, and many times in our classroom, you know, there will be a student that would say something to the effect, well, that's not fair. All right? And I, I think we probably all said it when we were younger. That's not fair. And, and Mr. Burst will always perk up and will chime in when he hears someone say, that's not fair. He would say, well, welcome to life. Life is not fair. And then he would say, it was not fair for a savior, Jesus, to die on the cross. He always made a point to say something about Jesus. It wasn't fair for him. Now, if you're wondering, I went to a private Christian school because I know that might not have been fit well in a public school, but that's what he would say. It was not fair for Jesus. And today, the message is about the unfair trial and torture of Jesus. Johnny Cochran, if you remember him, he was the famous lawyer, defense lawyer for O.J. Simpson. At the end of his argument, at the end of his defense, he made a statement. If you remember it, finish it I want you to finish it for me, right? If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. There you go. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. He was once asked who he would have liked to defend. If there was one person in history who he would have loved to defend, he, he responded like this. He said, Jesus is the person that I would have loved to have defended. I would have relished the opportunity to defend someone who was completely innocent of all charges and a victim of religious persecution. But then he said this, but because of his mission, I know that Jesus would have declined my services. Now today, that's what we're talking about. We're continuing our series on Resolved because Jesus was on a mission. What was his mission? Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Bible said, and Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Apostle Paul, he knew why Jesus came. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, he said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And so we're going to look at the unfair trial, the most unfair trial in the history of the world. Now, before we get into this, I want to review this last day of Jesus. You know, the day before Jesus was crucified, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we kind of talked about this last week, but about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, he and the disciples are in Jerusalem. They are in the upper, the upper, the upper city of Jerusalem, which is a well-to-do area of, of that time. And there's a place where he and his disciples um, hung out called the upper room. 
And there they had the last supper, and there was Jesus' final words with the disciples, and they celebrated Passover with them. During that supper time, one of the uh, disciples slipped away. His name was Judas, the betrayer. And he slipped away to go get the authority to go betray Jesus. Around 8 o'clock at night, Jesus and his disciples get up and they wander through the city of Jerusalem, which is very, very crowded because it is Passover time. This is the most, you know, this is high, uh, this is high celebration time and it's a high holiday. It's full of people. Some estimated that there were, might have been a million people in the streets, wandering the streets of Jerusalem. And so Jesus and his disciples, they wander through, they leave, they walk out of the city walls, they walk down to the Kidron Valley, and they cross over the Kidron Valley to wander into a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the, the slope of Mount Olivet, or the Mount Olives. And so there Jesus, we talked about last Sunday, is in the garden, he's praying, and every time he prays, he wakes, you know, he, he gets up and he shuts on the, the disciples and they're, they're taking a nap. You know, and this happened three times. And this went on from 8 o'clock to about midnight. Around midnight, Jesus wakes up the disciples the third time. He says, wake up, my betrayer is here. And in come walking into the garden was a mob of people with torches and swords and clubs. They are hunting down Jesus. Some estimated that it could have been a thousand people in this little mob hunting down Jesus in the garden. And so when they were looking for Jesus, they, looked, they asked the question, who is Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus responded to, to the person that asked the question, I am he. And when he did that, the whole crowd, a thousand people, fall backwards because Jesus just revealed himself, just a little glimpse of his, of his, of his glory of God. And, and so they were too much to bear and they all get up and, and they go to arrest Jesus. And of course, this is where Peter, mighty Peter, comes out with his sword and he's aiming for a head. He missed and got the guy's ear. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, put the swords away. This is not how we're doing it. He picked up the guy's ear and puts it back and heals the man. They take Jesus, and this is where we kind of pick up the story, and uh, I want us to look at John chapter 18. By the way, this, um, all four Gospels kind of covers this night. All four Gospels, and so you might see me pull from different Gospel accounts in the next few minutes. <coughs> John chapter 18 is what we see what happens next after they arrest Jesus in the garden. John chapter 18 and verse number 13. They brought Jesus first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leader that it would be good if one man died for the people. So they had an agenda. They had a vendetta against Jesus before they even drag him into Anna's house. And this was a part of the trial. And so around this time, Peter had his first denial. And then John chapter 18, verse 24, after that little trial in Anna's house, they sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, and they have another trial. And it's around that time that Peter denied Jesus two more times. And then we pick up the story in Mark chapter 15 and verse number one, 
You know, they finished the trial at Caiaphas, and now, Mark 15, verse 1, very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, you have said so. And the chief priest, they accused him of many things. And so again, Pilate, you know, he asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus, he still made no reply, and Pilate, he was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival, which is Passover, to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. And then Pilate asked him, well, what do you want me to do with the one called the king of the Jews? What do you want me to do with Jesus? And they responded, they shouted, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they all shouted louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers, they led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns, and they set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And again, and again, they struck him on the head with a staff. They spat on him. And then falling on their knees, they, quote, unquote, paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and they put his own clothes on him. And then at that point, they let him out to crucify him. And so there's a lot to unpack. I want to, you know, uh, as we wrestle with the text that we read today, I want to unpack three episodes in this story that we talk about. What does it mean for us today? Okay, can we do that? Number one, the first episode I want to highlight is that an innocent man is falsely accused. If you're taking note, an innocent man falsely accused. Jesus wasn't afforded a fair trial. Here in our justice system, a man is innocent, right, until they are proven guilty. In Jesus' situation, he was already deemed guilty before the trial even happened. His trial had both a Jewish phase and a Roman phase. They took first Jesus to Annas' house. He's the former high priest. 
where they tried to trump up false charges against our Savior Jesus. Then after they tried to the, 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 uh, tried him at Anna's house. They bound him up, and about two o'clock and three o'clock in the morning, they carried him to the house of Siaphir. He's the current high priest. He is also the son-in-law of Annas. And Siaphir's house, if you were to go there, was would have been more of a palace, more of like a like a palace complex. It wasn't a little house for Siaphir. He was, of course, one of the higher officials in the Roman structure, in the Roman, I'm sorry, in the Jewish system. You know, he's the Jewish leader of the synagogue. And so he had a big house. And part of his house had a, 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 a like a prison complex, you know, where they would flog people, where they flog prisoners, where they, where they have a holding cell. And so it was very likely that Jesus was dragged to the step of palace fortress, or palace house, and, uh, and then was taken into a holding cell down into the basement of Caiaphas' home. You can actually go to Jerusalem and they can show you the remains of Caiaphas' home. You can actually see some of the cisterns, some of the places where Jesus would have likely have been held. And words were sent out in the middle of the time. Words were sent out all through Jerusalem to wake up the 23 members of the Sanhedrin, of the council. They dragged them out of their bed. They were summoned from their bed to conduct a hasty trial for this rabble rouser from Nazareth. And it was a kangaroo court. Trials at night in this Jewish system were illegal, but they didn't care. False witnesses have been hired to claim that they heard Jesus say that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. And all this, Jesus said very little in his defense. But Caiaphas, he accused him of blasphemy and they declared him guilty and deserving of death. But however, in this time frame, the Jewish court could not issue a death sentence. Only the Romans could do that. And so around 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, very early in the morning, what we read in Mark chapter 1, Jesus was taking the pilot. He's the Roman governor of this region. And the religious leaders, they presented the charge to Pilate. They said, this man is claiming to be king. This is a troublemaker. This is treason. What are you going to do about this, Pilate? And Pilate, he began to question Jesus. You know, are you... Are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus said, you have said, Joe. And the Jews, they started throwing all kinds of accusations against Jesus to make their case, to present their case to Pilate. And in the face of all of these lies that were presented to Pilate in front of Jesus, Jesus never said another word. He didn't try to defend himself at all which was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy found in Isaiah 53, verse 7, where he said that he was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers, he's silent. He did not open his mouth. And Jesus it's the spotless lamb found in this prophecy. 
Not to say a lamb is subjected to the indignity of sharing. You know, the, the pride and joy and the glory of a sheep is its wool. And when it's sheared, it looks naked and frail. If you were to study how they would share it in olden days, you know, now they've got machines and they do a lot, a lot quicker and a lot easier. But in olden days, they, the, 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 the sheep herder, you know, the shearers, they, they would grab the, the, the sheep, they would grab the lamb, and they would, they would literally pin the neck of that sheep, lay their head down while they shear off the wool. And most of the time, you would watch that little sheep, not say one little peep, not one little bar, not one noise. He would just take the abuse while they take off the wool. And I can't help to think, but oh, Jesus, the Savior, as they took him through, he did not say a word. He did not say a word. And most legal experts agree that Jesus did not receive a fair trial. It was a false an innocent man is falsely accused. That's the first episode. Here's the second episode. The guilty man is released. A guilty man is freed. Now, Pilate, we, we see, you know, you can kind of see how he's wrestling with Jesus. You know, he wants to let Jesus go. You know, it's not all about punishing about punishing Jesus, you know, when the accusations were, were weak. And he saw it. He saw everything was happening. He saw their game. And, and, but he was also a, a people pleaser, a crowd pleaser. And so he, he figured out a plan. And, and it just was Passover. It was very customary with a, a tradition, you know, um, during Passover season to release a prisoner, to release a guilty prisoner, Passover was all about averting judgment. And so, hey, in the practice of Passover, let's let pardon a guilty person. And so Pilate, you know, he thought, you know what? I'm going to ask if we could release and pardon Jesus. But religious leaders, they were stationed all throughout the crowd. They stirred up the mob by saying, tell Pilate to release Barabbas. Tell him to release Barabbas. And the Bible says that Barabbas was part of the insurrection movement against the Romans and a committed murder in the process. There was a Roman cross waiting for Barabbas. But in that last moment, he found himself free. And Jesus was sentenced, was sentenced to die on the cross that had been prepared for Barabbas. I'll be honest with you. I've never liked Barabbas. <laughs> never liked him. I've always been a little angry about this guy. Right? He was a murderer. And he gets away scot-free. You know, I want the crowd to yell, to yell, release Jesus, crucify Barabbas. But instead they yell, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Now, Barabbas, you know, he's a scoundrel. You know, he's a rebel. He, he, he's, the, he, he's the murderer, a sinner, who was declared innocent 
And Jesus took his place on the cross that was meant for him. And, and, and let me be honest with you. The reason why I don't like Barabbas is that when I look inside of me, I am Barabbas. You're Barabbas. See, we are the guilty ones. All of us. We all deserve death. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve to be free from the punishment of our sin. Barabbas, he deserved death. But Jesus became his substitute. You don't, you don't have to understand the Bible to know what a substitute is. You know, when I was in high school and I was on the basketball team, I, I, I was number 12 on the bench. What that means was I wasn't very good. I was not a good basketball player. And I only got playing time when the game, when we were winning really, really, really good or we were getting blown out. And so, you know, I'm sitting on the end of the bench and, and, and the coach, you know, he'll, he'll say, okay, Scott, go on in. And I don't even hear it. You know, I mean, I, I, at this point, I don't even believe I'm going to play ball. And then the coach said, hey, Scott, get in there. I still don't hear it because, you know, I'm 80% deaf with too much noise. And finally, one of my teammates, you know, said, Scott, coach wants you in. I said, yes, sir. I run in there, and I played the best two minutes of basketball. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to impress the coach. Listen, I deserve more than just playing garbage time, okay? I've got some skills. You know, watch me make a basket. You know, it's an air ball, okay? It's not good. <laughs> Jesus became our substitute. We're on the game field blowing it. Blowing it. And Jesus comes in the game, takes our place, and we go sit on the bench, the bench of grace. And he does on the playing field what I can't do on my own. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 24, that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you and I have been healed. You know, I'm kind of curious. Whatever happened to Barabbas? We don't know. But I like to think, I like to wonder, you know, did Jesus, did Barabbas, did he watch Jesus being scourged, being flogged and tortured? I think, man, that could have been me. Did, did, did he follow Jesus to the cross? Did he say thank you? Did, did, did he follow Jesus? That, that should have been me on the cross. That should have been my blood dripping down from Calvary. We don't know the rest of Barabbas' story, but my friend, we do know the rest of Jesus' story. And regardless of what Barabbas did, 
we should look at the cross. We should say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That should have been me hanging there. The second episode, a guilty man is released. The third episode I want to highlight is the strong man is shamefully tortured. Before Jesus ever reached the cross, he faced unspeakable torture at the hands of the Roman soldiers. A squad of soldiers usually performed a flogging. The prisoner was stripped of his clothing and his hand would be held up or tied up to a post above his head. There, a soldier would stand behind Jesus, facing his back with a whip in his hand called a catch of nine tails. What it was with the whip, they had nine different thongs. And at the end of each thong was a piece of rock, a piece of stone, or a piece of glass. And they would take that whip. Sometimes it would be one soldier, sometimes it would be two soldiers whipping a prisoner. Whipping over and over and over. A physician who had studied the medical aspect of crucifixion published this report, his name was Dr. Truman Davis. He reported this report about the flogging of Jesus. He said, the heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the heavy thongs cut through the skin only. But then as the blows continued, they cut deeper into the tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the veins of the skin. But eventually, blood is spurting from the arteries in the underlying muscles. And finally, the skin of the back, at the end of the day, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissues. Hmm. You know, there are accounts of Roman soldiers flogging prisoners to death. They overflog, they overwhip. But the point of flogging wasn't to kill them there. It was to bring them close to death so that when they got to the cross, their time on the cross was shortened. And after the flogging, after Jesus took the whipping from the cats of Nantale, Jesus was taken inside the fortress of Pilate, the Praetorium, where an entire company of Roman soldiers continued to torture him. In mockery, they put a purple robe on his wounded back and twisted a crown of thorns and crushed it down on his head. They struck him in the face and the head with a the, with the club. They pulled his beard. At the end of the torture, Jesus was unrecognizable. We know that because part of the prophecy about him. The Bible says in Isaiah 52 verse 14, just as there were many who were appalled at him, 
His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Isaiah 53, verse 3 said, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. A friend of three episodes. An innocent man was falsely accused. A guilty man was released. A strong man was shamefully tortured. Last week, he asked God to remove the cup. And now he's drinking the cup. He surrendered to the will of the Father. At any point, the angels of heaven. They're just waiting. I can imagine that they were on the edge of heaven and, and they're just looking at God the Father and saying, God, let us go. Let us rescue your son. God the Father said, wait. He's not finished drinking the cup. You know, next week, we're going to talk about the cross. But Jesus completed the will of the Father and the redemption for mankind. Jesus received an unfair trial and was wrongfully tortured. But he did that for you. He suffered for you and me. He was resolved to pay the price of your sins. It's interesting to me that when Israel became a nation again in 1948, one of the first things they established with their government, they actually you know, set up a Supreme Court back in 1948. Some of the very first cases that were filed before the Israel Supreme Court for the petitioning for a retrial of Jesus Christ. Now, at the end of the day, the court ruled that the, 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 the motion was out of order, they, that they no longer had any jurisdiction over the matter. But my friend, listen, one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to be on trial before our Heavenly Father. And the question that could be asked of us, what have you done for Jesus? Who do you claim Jesus to be? You know, remember when Jesus asked the disciples, you know, hey, what do people say about me? The disciples were like, well, you know, some say you're a prophet, some say you're Elijah, some say you're, you're you know. And, and then finally Jesus said, okay, 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 okay. Guys, Peter, James, John, who do y'all say that I am? And if you remember, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The question before you, my friend, who is Jesus to you? We have to answer the question. There are four choices. You know, four choices. There are four questions you have to consider. If you're taking notes, was he a liar? Was Jesus a liar? You know, Jesus clearly claimed to be God. But if he knew he wasn't, that makes him nothing but a sinful deceiver. Now, liars... 
and, and, and because all of us, we can relate to, because we've all lied. You know, they, liars have some selfish motive. Either they want personal gain, or they're trying to get out of something. They're trying to prevent harm, you know, from themselves, trying to protect themselves. And so the question is, if he was a liar, what did he gain? He died owning nothing but the clothes on his back. And when faced with the opportunity to defend himself, he was silent. By the way, if, if Jesus was a liar, and then it got to this point where he was about to get flogged and beaten and all this stuff that was happening. You know, if he was a liar, at, at some point he would be like, hey guys, listen, hey, you know, I'm, I'm out of it. I was just joking. I, I'm not the Messiah. But we don't see that. He died with nothing. And so the question was, is he a liar? And that's the thing that we have to wrestle with. The second verdict, the second choice is, was he a lunatic? Was Jesus the most self-deceived egomaniac in history? Could it be that he thought he was sincere, but not know that he was wrong? You know, there are plenty of people, there are plenty of people, even today, they have delusions of grandeur, you know, <laughs> they have delusions. You know, most psych wars, have at least one person go anywhere, any psych ward in the, in the country, there's at least one person who claims to be God. It's always that person. But when you look at the, the other symptoms of those in the psych wards who claim to be God, you'll see that all the, the rest of their lives is way out of balance. But when you look at the life and teaching of Jesus, you don't see anything else out of balance. You see compassion. You, you see his wisdom and forgiveness and love for others. But uh, hey, uh, just get there and every person, hey, was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? You either believe that, or number three, you believe that he was a legend. A legend. And, uh, some have suggested that the followers of Jesus invented supernatural claims after he died. They turned a simple man into a myth. You know, kind of on the level of Hercules or, or Superman. Just a myth, just a story. I want you to think about this. If the followers of Jesus had fabricated the story, what would have been their motives? I mean, deception, again, lying, deception is motivated, motivated by greed, self-promotion. So what happened to these early Christians? Well, all of them, they were arrested, tortured, and killed. You have to ask the question, did they die for a lie? I mean, at some point, one of them would have cracked and said, listen, listen, hey, before you drop me in that boiling oil, um, we made this whole thing up. We took Jesus' body, made it look like he rose again, and we buried it somewhere else. But not one, not one person, not one, in the face of horrible death, Change their story. They all died believing with all their heart that they would join Jesus in heaven. And so there's nothing left but the fourth option. Was he Lord? You see, my friend, you only see Jesus as a liar, a, a lunatic, a legend, 
or he is what he said he was, the Lord. There, there's no room for, there's no room for, well, he was a good man, Scott. No, there's no room for that. If you don't believe that he was the Lord, then there's nothing good about a liar. There's nothing good about a lunatic and a legend. You know, he either is who he says he is or he's not. C.S. Lewis, now I've got this on your handout. And, uh, and, and if you want to read it with me, if you like. He wrote in his famous book, Mere Christianity. He said, there's a foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. But I don't accept his claim to be God. He said, that's the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of thing Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic at a level with the man who said he was a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make the choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let it not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He never intended to. You see, Jesus had very direct words to say about people who do not accept his claim. In John chapter 8, verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. My friend, what will you do with Jesus? What the evidence that's laid out before you? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is it nothing more than a fabricated legend? Or do you believe he is the Lord? Jesus was resolved to change the world, including you. The greatest joy to make is your decision. I pray that you will see what he says and believe who he claimed to be. He died. He was buried. And three days later, he rose again. God, we ask you to help us today. God, I ask you to help us as we wrestle with the verdict before us. As we look at the life of Jesus, do we believe that he is the Lord? Not just a good man, he was more than a good man. He was the Lord of all. God, maybe there's someone here today. Maybe there's someone this morning in this service. Maybe someone that's watching online. You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And my friend, today is your day of salvation. Today you can make him your Lord. 
He experienced all of that that day so that you could have eternal life. He became your substitute so that you could be free. Bible says all we have to do is cry out in the name of Jesus. And he's listening right where you're at. You can pray a prayer silently in the, in the quietness of your heart. My friend, God, listening. Prayer like this, you can repeat after me quietly if you like. If you've never asked Jesus to become your Lord and Savior, you can pray this prayer. Just, Dear God, I am a sinner. I am Barabbas. I deserve to die for my sins. But I believe that you became my Savior. You died on the cross for me. You were buried in the grave for me. And you rose again for me. And I believe you are the Lord and Savior. I'm asking you to come into my life and forgive me of all my sins. Take me to heaven when I die. With no, no one looking around, I close. He says, God, I pray that prayer. And today, I made the claim once and for all that Jesus is Lord. He is my Savior. And I pray that prayer. You pray that prayer. Will you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you stand up. I just want to see who you are. I'll celebrate with you. Anybody in this room this morning, I pray that I ask Jesus to come to my life. God, we thank you so much for the mission that you came for, to seek and to save sinners. Sinners like me are like all of us. And God, as we get ready for resurrection, Easter in a couple weeks, we have to understand what he resurrected from. And next Sunday, as we talk about the crucifixion, may we be challenged to live for you because you gave your all to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.